Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we are coming off of Pond Hockey Weekend. Things went really well up in Sister Bay, I heard. Yeah, it was uh, turned out better than we could have ever imagined. Ice worked out great. Um, the, the crew worked through the night for the entire week just to to put everything together and the teams had a great time. Awesome. We put together a little bit of a recap video that you can check out online that went up uh, yesterday as we're recording. Uh, so if you want to see what Pond Hockey looked like this year as we kind of moved it to Sister Bay because of the, the ice conditions, uh, you can check that out. Speaking of events, uh, Fire and Ice is coming up in Sturgeon Bay this weekend as well, correct? It'll be on Saturday? Yeah. So Sturgeon Bay Fire and Ice weekend, it's kind of their big winter festival that they do down there. And, it, you know, kind of the centerpiece for the average guy walking around is the ice carvers and snow carvers that they have on uh, spots and corners all through both the east and west side of the city. Right. So pretty cool chance to see, like, it's kind of amazing the sculptures that the those guys are able to make in just a matter of hours out of ice and snow. Yeah, I've seen, I've been up there the last two years. I know last year they had like a blacksmith doing stuff out there as well, doing and, a live demonstration. And they'll have that again this year as well. And then there's also, I believe, some sort of auction event as well, correct? Yeah, they have like a silent auction. They have a gala that I believe usually sells out really fast that they do Saturday night, a big uh, a ball of sorts. But yeah, it's like, you know, the, and the, most of the shops like on 3rd Avenue in downtown have specials and there's just a lot of going on and a lot of crowds walking around. So it's a good time down in Sturgeon Bay. Yeah, if you're down in Sturgeon Bay this weekend, check it out for sure. Uh, why don't we jump into some of the news that's going on? So uh, the other day you had the opportunity to have a phone conversation with Governor Evers. What did you guys talk about? Yeah, he had unveiled a package of bills um, aimed at education spending. There's um, essentially what it comes down to is a, the state has found out that they are going to have a large budget surplus this year. And when that happens, you have this debate over uh, what to do with that surplus. In Evers' proposal, he's looking to spend about 250 million of the extra $450 million surplus he wants to put into education spending. The idea being you spend it on education, you also are lowering some property taxes because then those schools don't need to go to referendum. And then um, the Republicans on the other side are usually want to put that money and go, all right, we're going to send this back to the taxpayer in. And sometimes, they, you know, George Bush did it in the form of actually sending everybody a $300 check. And in this case, the, the Republicans want to provide uh, property tax relief. Generally, like right after George Bush did that back in 2000, 2001, uh, the economy tanked and turned out they needed that tax revenue. So there's there's always debates about that. Should you put it into like um, a rainy day fund, which a, a certain amount of it automatically goes into that? Or it, or should you put it back into other programming? In some cases, people say we need to catch up on our roads or we need to catch up on education spending. So that's kind of the debate happening in Madison right now. Talked to Representative Joel Kitchens and he basically said, 
yes, these, this package of bills is going to go nowhere. So Kitchen said, I'm in favor of some of these things. And Kitchen's chaired the blue ribbon panel on education last year. But um, he said he'd rather do it through the regular budget cycle other rather than a like a special education session. So Yeah, so you talked to Governor Evers a couple of days ago. We'll jump into that audio right now. Our education plan, which I think is really important to for people to understand that it's 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 most just two thirds funding, but equally important it lowers property taxes. And uh, they gaveled in on that. We're hopeful that at some point in time in their future they'll take that up because there's lots of good things for our schools, but it's also good things for our property taxpayers. You know, in general, why you, what you've proposed is putting that surplus, uh, a lot of that into education spending in a lot of different areas. Um, Republicans have come back and said, we want to put that into property tax relief. Why make the case for putting this into some of these education spending programs and not just broader tax cuts? Well, because we can do a, have a twofer. Not only does this uh, help our schools, but it's going to lower property taxes. As you know, the uh, uh, all across the state, your area also, there's been lots of referenda. And one, one of the reasons those referendums happen is because um, uh, the state hasn't done their fair share of uh, supporting our schools. And two-thirds funding has always been the goal. So as we put that money in schools, we will see fewer referenda. And second of all, 130 million, I think it is, of the of the entire total goes directly into property tax relief. It goes into state equalized aid formula, which is property tax relief. So, and you have to call a special session. Of course, uh, the Republican Assembly and Senate have ignored those in the past, basically by just gaveling in and gaveling out without debate. You probably know they're going to do that. So, so what's the end goal with that special session? Well, first, first of all, I, we we believe that our education is a major economic driver in our state, and as we we are kind of morphing into a slowing of the economy. We want to make sure that our, our young people are prepared. So it, it, it's just simple that education is a top priority. But second of all, they haven't gabbled out. They gabbled in, and it's our hope that they uh, do spend some time. There really is no reason. I mean, there's no time left here. They could they could go as long as they wanted to. They, they've just decided they, they're not interested in working that hard this, uh, uh, this time around. So they, they can stay in session and get it done. We, we have an opportunity to lower property taxes to help our schools at the same time. So we're hopeful that they'll see the light, and you never know. Governor Evers, thank, thank you for your time today. Thanks a lot, Miles. Take care. Okay, we are back, and with us today is Solomon Lindenberg. Solomon, you've got many titles now. You're interning for us, you edit the podcast, but you're also editor at the Viking Voice over at Gibraltar, a resident young person in the office. You've kind of got it all going on. Yes, my resume is up to 30 pages now. How are you enjoying your new uh, library over there at Gibraltar? We've had mixed reviews of it so far. A lot of people say it looks too sterile too new, too nice. Oh, kids these <laughs> days. The library's too nice. Oh, man. Yeah, but um, it's a really nice space. Um, my only complaint is it's very echoey, very loud. So right. It's hard to have conversations. Well, meeting. and you've been playing piano in there and singing, so that probably is a big factor yeah. for you. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, Solomon, you wrote uh, an article for us in The Pulse this week about school security, right? Correct. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so all the schools in Door County have um, passed referendums within the past couple of years, and a major part of all of those have been proving school safety and security. So in the 
the piece, I just kind of talk about how much money is actually going into um, school safety and security. And uh, most recently, Sturgeon Bay, they have unanimously voted to have the referendum, which will be placed on that ballot. And they plan to make um, safety and security a huge focus in that um, by creating a secure entrance and controlling visitor access by relocating the main office. You know, Miles and I have talked about this just from like our older perspective. I mean, I'm not too far removed from you, Solomon, and I suppose, Miles, you're not too far removed from me, but... Oh, fairly too much. Yeah. Um, when, you know, when I was going to school, certainly when you were going to school, Miles, security was not nearly as much of a focus as it is now. Um, and I remember growing up, like, when I think about what schools are doing now for security and I think about the way that my school was set up, it's kind of wild because, like, our front entrances took you, like, you were immediately in the cafeteria, right? Which hmm. I think would be a huge security concern because, like, at any given point in the day, there's a huge chunk of the student body right there. There's right. nothing keeping somebody out from that area. Whereas I feel like a lot of places kind of corridor you through uh, different areas until you can get into where classrooms are or where the cafeteria is. Um, what's your perspective, Solomon, you know, going through high school right now in terms of, like, the security debate and how things are going at Gibraltar and some of the other schools up here? Um, in my experience, uh, I've found that, you know, when I was much younger, it wasn't as big of an issue. But now, like at the beginning of the year, um, we had planned on having Miles and, and Dave Elliott come in to work with the um, Viking Voice, which we should still do. <laughs> but um, we were told that they need to pass a background check fill out a ton of paperwork and uh, they would need two weeks to clear. And I'm like, well, they won't be able to come to our meeting on Friday. That's a just lot of, one small yeah. example of like so many, and you know, you think a, of all the people you need to come through the school to really help out and provide tutors or real world experience. And a lot of times teachers or coaches don't think of that until the last second. In my experience coaching, I might have a guy who was back in town for the holidays who was playing, say, Division two or Division three basketball, or maybe a, a, a coach with other experience was around. I could just have him pop into the gym that day and it would just be a great different voice to sh have to my players. I, a lot of times you wouldn't have two weeks notice. Now I think back to that and I'm like, wow, there's so many things that I wouldn't have been able to do. Right. Let alone um, just like when when I went to school and you were kind of referencing this before, it was just like you walked in the front door and like I, I don't I don't know how much people even had to check in. Maybe they went in and signed something. But now every school's got like a double door buzz in system. And we we switched to key fobs when I was coaching. And but when I was a kid, it was like the doors just kind of always open. Yeah. And, and that was the way that it was for me in high school as well. Like I said, you walked in and you were in. There was no check in. I mean, there was somebody sitting there usually who would be like, you know, can you sign this like right page that you're in here but it was it was very relaxed in that way and then when you you start to think about how schools are actually laid out and there are specific security concerns just within the layout of the school, like where are entrances and what entrances are available at one point. I think uh, most security plans want to have one central entrance that can be like, that's the only place that people can get in and out of the, that can get into the building from, but then places where people can get out that aren't there because you're trying, you know, in a worst case scenario, you're trying not to funnel the population into one zone, right? I think that that's right. kind of it. Solomon, did you, did you learn more about like what security concerns are? up here and how um, how they might be handled. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, having everyone in the same space. That's the way Southern Doors Elementary School is laid out. Uh, what they're working on right now is they are making more walls, more doors to, to split the kids and, and faculty up. 
Gibraltar, uh, giant new IMC, huge open space, but in every classroom that surrounds the IMC, there are two doors, and the other door is is for exiting. So that was one thing they had in mind. There's so many aspects of it that, as you've seen these shootings proliferate, and now everyone's so afraid of that happening at their school that everyone's taking these high-level precautionary measures. The Door County law enforcement does a lot of drills and and. Um, hypotheticals about what how they would handle some sort of mass shooting. That's time. That's training. That's money. Teachers have to go through training. Um, different alarm systems, different entryways, different design of classrooms. There's the Raptor system that Sevastopol uses. It's a computer system to give people IDs and check them in and out of that facility. Um, it's just a bigger component. And you think of people think about school costs and or why do these school costs keep going up? Why are there more referendums? And you just think of all the labor that goes into making sure someone's there to buzz somebody in and out every single day, all right. the time that the school's open. And manage who's coming and going and then manage those contracts with those companies. There's just so many aspects and so many layers to it. It's really what we found is it's hard to pinpoint like an exact cost because as each ad administrator that we talked to said is it's kind of security is kind of a part of almost every aspect of this in some way. But you wouldn't right. say the entire $17 million Sturgeon Bay referendum is about security, but it is wrapped into almost every decision they're going to make with that building, right. which I don't think anybody thought of when Gibraltar's elementary wing was built when I was in first or second grade. I, I doubt that security was even a thought. Right. And I, I don't want it to seem like we're all sitting here like, you know, why do why do things need to be so secure? Why do we need to spend all this time and money on security in schools? We didn't have it 10 years ago. We didn't have it 20 years ago. So why do we need it now? I don't want people to think that that's the side that we're on in this. I think security in schools, unfortunately, is one of the most important things that, that a school can spend their money on. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that 90% of schools will never have to face any situation like this ever. But the percentage of schools that do, it, it's like, you know, you don't want to be caught without the precautions in mind. It's the worst thing that can happen. So the, the precautions are, are justified in that way. Maybe. And, but it is interesting that we generally, the general American perspective on something like this would be like, oh, yes, we have to do that. We have to take the precaution. We have to spend on security because we accept that this is the world we live in now. Um, but not every country is like this. Like there we're kind of rare in terms of countries that have to guard against mass shootings all the time. Yes, there are other you could say that we maybe should address gun policy or um, mental health issues in a, a much better way so that we wouldn't then have to spend millions on school security and security at government offices or even corporate workplaces. But it's, I think it's just notable that like we have chosen that, okay, we just have to spend on all, all these safety measures because this is just what comes with being American is worrying about mass shootings. Right. I am, I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, because uh, when you said maybe, I was like, oh, no, Miles is going to take the point of like, well, back in my day, we didn't need <laughs> no gates or anything like that. But no, that, that is true. If you, treat, if you treat the cause rather than the symptom, then yeah, this, this could be different. Uh, I guess what I was coming from is like in where we're at right now, yeah, I'd probably rather spend money on securing the right. school. If, you know, those other things aren't going to be taken seriously like they haven't been in the past. But I, th I think you'd be hard pressed to find a single parent who wouldn't want to do as much as possible to make sure their kids are are safe in that building. Right. And if a school said, yeah, we think this is best, like they'd sign up right away. But yeah, it comes at a cost. Well, Solomon, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Uh, we're going to jump into our break and then Miles, you and I will be back here shortly to talk about Potawatomi Tower. 
Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. If you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew, that we did. I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Pulse stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual door wedding guide and you can also buy uh, lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster but might want to add a little something something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, uh, we talked about Potawatomi State Park, the the tower, a couple of times on the podcast. We've been following the story for, what, two years now? Has it been two years since yeah. it closed down? Yep. Which is wild in itself to think about. But uh, there's been a new DNR survey that's been released, right? Or a new ruling on an old survey. Yeah. Walk me through this. What what happened? Yeah, so they, yeah, back in 2017, they did their kind of routine inspection and they closed it because they said that they were rotting timbers and it wasn't safe. And then they, after that, they brought in a, an expert to come in and, and analyze the wood and timbers and see like how stable or unstable it was. They determined, yep, it's unstable. It's got to come down. Um, the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society then commissioned a study of their own, and they brought in a world-renowned timber expert from Think Oregon um, who came in and analyzed it. And he said, yep, there are some significantly rotted timbers, but it's repairable. So you could repair it for a modest cost in place, and you could have it reopened in 10 days, was what this guy said, once you have the plan in right. place. And, th- and this was in contrast to Eagle Tower, where the, the same survey was done, and it was decided that it should be torn down completely and then rebuilt as something completely new. Um, and in that case, they didn't, they didn't do that second inspection um, largely because Surgeon Bay Historical Society is Christy Weber. Christy Weber, she gets her hands on something, she's going for it. So she went out, got some money to pay for this other expert to come in because she is vehement that this does not need to come down. Um, and then in Eagle Tower, they just essentially, they just didn't have Christy Weber. Okay. <laughs> um, so they, the DNR moved forward and, and took down Eagle Tower, even though a lot of people protested, but it, it didn't really, they weren't able to stop it. Right. Um, the reason, you know, like structures are saved all the time. You know, the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa has been leaning forever. If you looked at that, I'm sure an engineer wouldn't say it's the most stable thing in the world. It's been there a long time. There are 500-year-old buildings all over Europe, uh, the East Coast of the United States that are repurposed and they're leaning. They don't look structurally perfect, but they're safe and people still stabilize them. There have been lighthouses that have been moved 100%. The, the entire structure moved like 300 yards through like engineering marvels. It's not that you can't save it. You could have saved Eagle Tower in place. You could save Potawatomi Tower. But what the DNR says is once you change anything on it, now it has to become uh, ADA accessible. Right. And so that is the big reason why uh, the new Eagle Tower plan has the the big ramp moving through it, right? Correct. So uh, ADA is the Americans with Disability Act. um, And it basically says that, uh, I mean, it's the reason why like curbs have... 
um, like handy or wheelchair accessibility or why your building yep. has to have it. Um, it's important that people with disabilities have access to the same things that everybody else does. Um, so it, it makes sense that, you know, in building a new tower, like with Eagle Tower, you'd have to make it ADA compliant. Why does like like fixing a currently established thing, uh, like why does that trigger the ADA compliance? Um, well, to answer that, I'll step back to that report that came out. And they the, the DNR eventually had three different studies. All three said there's significant rot. And they and the um, Dr. Tingley is the one that the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society commissioned. And they agreed with Tingley's assessment, essentially, that, yes, there's rotting. Yes, it could be repaired in place. And they outlined the three options, which were repaired in place, um, leave it standing is not an option, really and tear it down or tear it down and rebuild. Um, Essentially, so they were kind of saying like, there is an option to repair it in place, but ultimately they decided no matter what we do, it has to be ADA compliant, which means repairing it in place would not make it ADA compliant. So their legal team at the DNR said it would have to come down. So that's kind of where the crux is, is people saying, well, what's your interpretation of um, the Americans with Disabilities Act? So what Christy Weber told me was by that definition, anything in the park that has a scratch on it that needs to be repaired would have to be torn down and then be made ADA compliant with any repair you did because she's essentially saying like I, if we just replace those structural timbers or we just replace aesthetic things you're saying it now has to be completely ADA compliant because you could see a scenario where you know, I've talked to engineers where they've said yeah you pull up a crane hold the, essentially replace the main structural timber with that crane in place just the way people will use um, scaffolding and things like that and you brace it you take that bad timber off and replace it with a new timber. It's an engineering feat to do this, but it's a lot cheaper than rebuilding with all new materials. Um, you know, for instance, this Dr. Tingley said Potawatomi Tower probably could be replaced for a couple hundred thousand dollars or not replaced, um, repaired. The new Eagle Tower, once it was torn down and rebuilt with new um, new wood, uh, new structural components and that new ramp is going to cost three million dollars plus. Sure. So you're trading, you know, that's a, it's a huge expense to just kind of rebuild a tower. Um, so that's kind of where it sits now. DNR said that it has to come down. They said that's the final decision. As we know, with when, when Christy Weber starts to fight something, um, to her credit, like she doesn't go down easy. So I doubt that it's like the final thing we'll hear on this. She did say that they plan on... Um, they don't consider it a done deal yet. They, they plan to continue to fight to, to save the tower. Um, because once it comes down, the state gave three million, came up with three million plus, and they raised seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of private funds to rebuild Eagle Tower. Um, that took several years. I mean, the Eagle Tower hasn't been used since twenty fifteen, so we're five years down the road. It's it's hard to envision the state kicking in that much more money to another Door County park just right. 25 miles down the road. Maybe they will. Maybe I'm underestimating the power of Joel Kitchens and Andre Jacques to lobby for money. But I, I mean, it's just hard to envision the state saying we're going to shovel more money up to Door County for this. Sure. Where are we at with Eagle Tower, by the way? You mentioned five years. I, are we scheduled to build yet or are there hang up? They're supposed to be building. Like the last time I drove through there, I didn't see any major action um, in place, but I would think this early this spring that they'll start in earnest to rebuild that tower. They talked about having it open sometime next summer. Um, you know, the longer it takes, the the 
more costs go up. So I'd right. imagine they're going to get on it as quickly as they can. So what are the next steps for Pottawatomie Tower? Um, I guess if you're the DNR, it's probably to get get going, taking it down as quick as possible. If you're um, the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society, I'm sure they're going to um, take another stab. Now, the, the Historical Society did say, they did credit the DNR with being um, very open to the discussions, um, very open in their communication as this process has gone on. So it's I don't want to paint that as like this hardcore us versus them thing. It does sound like the DNR has been working with them and open to their um, attempts to investigate other solutions, but it essentially comes down to a legal interpretation. And that is much of what came down in on Eagle Tower as well. Other towers around the country have been built or repaired without that same staunch um, adherence to the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. Sure. And in some cases, they've been sued for not doing that. In some cases, they've been totally fine. So it is really kind of a, a DNR legal interpretation that's making that decision. Hmm. Well, I, I think that this is going to be the next thing that we talk about uh, every week on the podcast for the winter. <laughs> so uh, it'll be exciting to see how this story develops. Uh, but I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with me. And uh, the magazine is coming out soon, isn't it? Yeah, we do have our philanthropy issue of Door County Living Magazine. That'll be out in about two weeks. It should hit newsstands. We wrapped it up yesterday our final final edits came down to the wire to get it to the printer like everything we do um but it's a it's going to be a really great issue uh, i'm really excited to talk about it when it comes out but we we turned our focus on women in philanthropy this year and not just the organizations that are doing things for women but also some there's just like a group of about seven inspiring women who um, are leading the charge on a lot of the most important issues in the county. And in, inherently, a lot of what we do in news tends to just end up focused on men because our society has put men in most of the most powerful positions. Sure. So once in a while, it, it, it is good to kind of just shift your focus and say like, all right, wh- where, are, where can we highlight the women who are leading the way on this that we may not inherently do when you have a county board that's uh, a vast majority of men and municipal boards that are vast majority men and executive boards that are vast majority men. Right. So, Well, I'm looking forward to checking that out in a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll definitely talk about it more. Thank you, Miles, for chatting with me this week, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, thank you. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.